Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I'm glad you're here today, and if you're tuned in online with us, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Um, <clears throat> I always, I don't know why I'm this way. I just feel compelled that I should do a little pop quiz on uh, what we just sang in worship. You know, we just, we just put these words up here on these screens and I think we just sing whatever they put up there. I said to the first service, it's like, dog food is good with milk. You know, I mean, just whatever words they put up there, we just sing, right? And did you realize what you just sang? I wrote it down. Hallelujah, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. My living hope. Amen. Woo, me and Shannon are excited. The rest of y'all come on and warm up with us, okay? I think that is an awesome song that we sang. A lot of good songs. I leaned over during one of them and asked Becky. My wife Becky is here with me today. And I asked her, I said, do you know this song? <laughs> it happens when you get old. You don't know all the most current songs. But anyway, it was great worshiping our Lord today. I'm glad that you're here. And I'm grateful for Pastor Jeff giving me this privilege and opportunity some of you may be thinking, why in the world would he have me come? And you may think that after we're through. But in the meantime, uh, I have the privilege of serving Florida Baptist churches all across the panhandle. I serve about 375 churches in the central time zone that makes up the Florida Baptist Convention in this part of the state. And it's my joy and privilege. And this is my first time to get to be with y'all. I have been here to your office many times. And I've wanted to come and worship with y'all, and I'm typically preaching in some other church somewhere else. But what a joy it is to be with you today. If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have an app, open that to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't, then sit, lean over to somebody next to you and say, I didn't bring my Bible. Can I read with you? And that'll be fine. They won't mind at all, I'm sure. I want us to talk a little bit about hope for today and the future. Hope for today and the future, and I'll try to engage your thinking with a question. Do you think people in our culture, people in the Gulf Breeze culture, the Gulf Breeze, do you think people have hope today? Because it seems like to me, in general, just across our culture, there's a missing, an absence of hope. And so I thought we'd talk a little bit about this. And I even thought, you know, if I asked you whether you have hope for today in the future, you would probably say, yes, we do, right? Yeah, that'd be you, right? And, and I wonder then, would your answer come from the fact that we're in church or from a deep conviction in your heart? Because there's a huge difference. I don't know why it is about church. I serve churches. I said to y'all, I serve churches all over. the. We, we act a certain way at church and, and then we go home, right? And so the question about hope really is more about when I go home, when I, when Monday comes, you know, after the weekend and I got to go back to work and all this, do I have hope? See, I think many people in our world today are looking for hope. And so I want us to consider together the power of hope. But I think in order to do that, we need to answer, ask and answer three questions. Here they are. Number one, how do we define hope? How do we define hope? We'll try to answer that. Second question, what does the Bible say about hope? And then our last question will be, how do we communicate hope? Okay, so let's start with those three questions. Let's start right in. First question, how do we define hope? Some define the word hope with a meaning of desire 
or wish, you know, like, I hope so. He's going to text me later. I hope so. You know, it's a desire or wish. <laughs> but the word used in Scripture for hope carries with it the idea of trust or confident expectation. It's a very different than hope so or wish type definition of hope. Dr. John R.W. Stott defines hope as a joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promise of God. Right? The promise of God right here. In the word is where the promise of God is found. The strongest teaching for the word hope is a firm conviction. So do you have that kind of hope? That firm conviction that we can know because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's good news, isn't it? Okay, somebody got to wake up in here and help me. Are y'all leaving? Is this mic on? Are y'all hearing me? I mean, that's good news right there. That Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and the impact of that truth on our lives is confidence for living, confidence for facing whatever the future holds. So for our purposes, we're going to define hope as a firm conviction or a confident expectation based in Jesus. Okay? Just a nod, a grunt, some sort of evidence that you're taking in oxygen. Okay, I guess you're with me. A second question. What does the Bible say about hope? Let's see if we can move that direction. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 11 and follow along there. In, in Ephesians 2, 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Look what it says, last phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. <laughs> Did you hear what Paul just called these people? These are, these are, this is the church at Ephesus, okay? This is the story point in Ephesus. These people gathered and he says, you bunch of Gentile unchurched dogs. Wow, he's got a warm fuzzy going for you there, right? I mean, hey, you bunch of unchurched dogs, how y'all doing, right? He just didn't warm them up real good, did he? No, instead, what he was doing is trying to help them embrace who they were before Christ. We were a bunch of unchurched dogs. You know, I don't like this kind of preaching. He's kind of judgmental. I understand. It's just fact. I'm not making this up. It's in here. All have sinned, fall short of God's glory. We're all sinners. None of us has the right to point a finger at the other because we got we're all in the same boat here, okay? But Paul is saying to them, listen, this was your spiritual condition before you began this journey of faith of following Jesus. So then in verse 12, he gives this descriptive phrase at the end there, having no hope and without God in the world. And to me, this explains the hopelessness of many people in our world today. You know, every now and then, I told y'all I serve churches across the panhandle. Every now and then, churches will have guests show up on Sunday. You know, somebody that's new, somebody they weren't expecting, you know, and they'll come in and let's just suffice it to say what? They didn't dress like maybe some people dress that go to church. And they, of course, give them the warm Baptist greeting, right? I mean, the up and down, right? You've had that? The, I've had that warm Baptist, you know. That's all you had to wear. That's the best you could do. 
Yeah, I mean, don't you just feel the love of Christ dripping off of that, right? <laughs> and, and, and yet, the reason for that is, you know, people, I've even had people say to me, why do people say these things? Why do people act this way? Why do people think this way? Because they're without hope. They're without any understanding of God in this world. Lost people, what I've come to learn in all my years of ministry expertise, lost people act lost. People far from God don't act like people of God. And that's not a judgmental statement. It's just a reality. By the way, wasn't that how we were before Christ? I mean, if we stop and think about it, <laughs> that's exactly who we were. We had no hope. We had no guidance. We had no knowledge of the one true God. So before we get too self-righteous, let's remind ourselves. And it does us good to remember, who were we before Christ? i tell you who I was. <laughs> I was a good sinner. I was good at it. Oh, yeah. I'm not celebrating it. I'm just confessing it. I, I You know, I was on the wrong track, headed the wrong direction. <laughs> and Jesus saved me. Hey, woo! There's a reason to clap, right? I mean, I can clap. I don't know if you'll clap with me or not. About but but listen, listen to what Paul says to those whose lives have been transformed through a faith relationship with Jesus there in verse 13. He says, but now, and so he just called them unchurched dogs. They were lost without hope in this world. And then in verse 13, he says, now in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far off, have what? Been brought near. Oh, we've been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Ew. Right? Those who had no hope have now been brought near to God with that firm conviction, confident expectation kind of hope in Christ. See, there's confidence to face whatever life brings because we have the assurance that Jesus makes the way possible for us to have a relationship with God. How did he do that? Thanks for asking. Through the shedding of his blood. That's what it means in that phrase, brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me just touch on that for just a minute, that phrase, by the blood of Christ. The emphasis on the blood here is to remind us that left to ourselves, there was no chance of us having a relationship with holy God. At our very best, I mean cleaned up, best clothes, smell good, look good, everything. There's no chance of us having a relationship with holy God. Why? Because he's holy and outside of Christ we are not, right? See, he wanted relationship with us so he sent Jesus and he shed his blood. Why would he do that? Because Jesus' blood is sinless blood. See, the scripture tells us that he was tempted, Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and me, and yet did not sin. His blood was sinless blood. His blood was sacrificial blood. What do you mean, sacrificial blood? Well, there was a debt owed for our sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. There was a debt owed, and Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And also his blood satisfies the wrath of God. Now there's something we don't talk about a lot anymore, right? The wrath of God. Oh, I don't know. I thought God's a God of love. He don't have no wrath, does he? He's holy and just. 
And he will judge all sin. Judgment involves wrath. Nobody likes to talk about it. I don't even like to talk about it. But it's a reality. So what do we do with the wrath of God that we're deserving of? I'll tell you what we do. We bring it to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, help me. Right? May your blood be the sacrifice. May it be the security of the forgiveness of my sin. May it satisfy the wrath of God that was meant for me. See, his precious blood provides the way. You remember Jesus saying that about himself in John 14? I am the way, the truth, the life. How was he the way? He's the way because he made the way possible for us to have relationship with holy God. Left to ourselves, that wasn't going to happen. Holy God. We can be reconciled to God. So I want you to understand from this. Jesus is the only one who could meet the holy requirements of a holy relationship with God. And he offers that to you and me. <laughs> what? Yeah. Who do you know that loves you like Jesus, right? Who do you know that loves you like Paul? His reference to the blood should cause us to ask. Have I been brought near to God through the grace and forgiveness that's offered to me through Jesus Christ? Have I been brought near to God? Am I walking in a daily relationship with God? I keep sensing in this moment. <laughs> some of us don't want a relationship with God. We want fire insurance. We want the get out of hell free card. If you ever played Monopoly, there's a, it's an old game for the old people used to play when they were younger. And there was a get out of jail free card on there. That's the way some people seem like comes to church. We want the get, where do I get the get out of hell free card? I want to live like hell while I'm here on earth. But when I get to the end of my life, I want to get out of hell free. Can I just say to you that when Jesus said to those disciples back over in Matthew chapter 4, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say come follow me and it will be a shortcut into heaven when you die. His, his invitation of following him was an invitation to relationship with him. Too often I find, not here thankfully, but in other churches where I go, too often I find people, they want the benefits of God. But they don't want the relationship with God. Because see, relationship requires responsibility. Relationship requires accountability. Relationship requires getting to know each other. And I'm so busy and I've just got so many people on my Insta that I need to check in. Really? Really? I, I want you to know this. If you have never been brought near to God through the grace and forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ, today's your day. Good news. Good news. Wake up your neighbor and say, hey, he's talking to you. <laughs> Good news. Today is your day. Today you can be born into God's family. These Gentiles in Ephesians 2 have now entered into this by grace through faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying they've been brought into the community of other believers. Listen to the next three verses. Picking it up at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made both one. Both. What does he mean both? Gentiles and Jews. He's made both one. Yeah, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself. What is he going to create? One new man in the place of the two. So making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body, the church, one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, Paul teaches in this passage that the wall of animosity between, uh, uh, and division between the Jews and the Gentiles has been broken down. See, the Jews didn't love the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't love the Jews. And by the way, in case you're wondering, we're all Gentiles. Unless some of you maybe grew up Jewish. I don't know. But my great assumption is we're all Gentiles. So we're the unchurched dogs that Paul spoke of, these Ephesians, who they were before Christ. And what Jesus is saying through Paul in this passage is those ordinances of Judaism no longer hold any authority over the life of a believer. See, you don't become a, a, a Christian by becoming a good Jew first. No, you come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Both Jew and Gentile must be reconciled to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. See, if they were going to know the hope of a relationship with God and each other, both groups had to be reconciled with God. But I want you to see, don't stop there. We, we do need to be one, but there's more. There's an expected outcome. Look at verse 17. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off. What did he preach to those who were near? Same thing. Look at it. Peace to those who were near. For through him both have access in one spirit. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter what your background is. You have access to God through one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. He, Mary prayed it earlier. God form us into your image. Jesus, let us take on your image in us. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. The expected outcome of reconciliation with Christ is unity of the brothers. I got to just soapbox for just a minute on this one because unity of the brothers seems like a great challenge among Baptists. I don't know why it is. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how, you know what gets in the way of unity more, more often than not? <laughs> Preferences. Not bad things. Just preferences. You know, like, I don't like all this lumber around here. They should have painted this white put sheetrock up here. Look at that. Look how ratty that looks. Look at all that lumber around here. It's just rough old lumber in here. This ain't no church, right? What am I expressing? My preferences. And we'll divide over less than that. Listen to me now. Because be careful. You say, oh, we're the young hip group and we know exactly what God wants us to do. Careful. Your preferences might get in the way of the old people's preferences. Hello, here I am. <laughs> right? And what happens is when your preferences rub up against my preferences, God loses. The church doesn't have unity. We have division. So, what do we do? We listen 
to the one who is at work in us and understand we've been made one, one body for the purpose of unity. Because, by the way, just another one more little aside. Your unity is a testimony to this community. Hello? You with me? Your unity is a testimony or disunity. And it's so funny. When I get called to go to a church and they're having a squabble about something, they'll say things to me like this. Well, nobody really knows what's going on. I'm like, are you living under a rock? What are you, crazy? Everybody in this town's talking about what's going on up here at this church. They all know about it. Oh, we thought it was a secret. We didn't. Some of our members don't even know. Are you kidding me? Our unity is our testimony in this community. We must be unified in Christ. Why? Why is unity such a big deal? Because this isn't all of us. Hello? This isn't all of us. We're not all. This isn't, okay, God, everybody's going to get saved and go up breezes right here in this room. No, there's a whole bunch of people out here, right, that need to know Christ. We have the responsibility. Why in the world would the pastor go all the way over, you know where he went. I'm not supposed to say, I don't think. Why would he go all the way over there? Why? Because he's trying to expand God's kingdom. He's trying to tell people the good news. It's amazing. I got pastors all over this region. They'll go to across the United States, around the world, go go everywhere. And they got members that won't go across the street and talk to their friends about Jesus. Earlier this week, I was in Southwest Florida. I was at Murdoch Baptist Church in Fort, in uh, Port Charlotte, and Pastor Ron Tipton. He said to me, he said, "I've been praying for God to help us build ladders." In our, in our fellowship. Build ladders across the street. To have a chance to have gospel conversations with our neighbors. He said, boy, he really did it, didn't he? You know where Port Charlotte is. Hurricane Ian, ring a bell. <laughs> Their town looks like a war zone. He said, boy, God really did it, didn't he? See, now everything's all torn up. Now you got to go over and just make sure your neighbor's alive, Right? Much less, where are they spiritually? But boy, it does present a great opportunity to talk to someone about their hope. Where's your hope? What is your confidence in? Right? Y'all, we've got to own that. We've got to understand the unity God gives to his church is for the expansion of his kingdom through his church. Well, I just don't know what to say. Well, we're to teach what we've received from the apostles and the prophets. And our primary teaching is the gospel, right? You know the meaning of the word gospel, right? You know what it is, right? Just give me a nod. Let me know you're still taking in oxygen. Okay. Yeah. The gospel is good news. We've got good news, right? Oh, I, I think sometimes we think Alabama beating Texas A&M was more good news than the gospel is good news. It bothers me. And I like Alabama. Don't misunderstand me. Roll tide. I don't care. But, but really and truly, people's eternity, more than a ball game, God help us, right? The gospel, it is the gospel that brings hope. And gospel hope is emboldened, as we read in that text, through the Holy Spirit alive in us. You say, well, Lewis, where would you get a crazy idea? Go back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll just look at what Paul said to the church in Rome in the first five verses there. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been saved by faith in Christ. We have peace with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, 
we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. You are standing now. We used to sing old hymn, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Well, you know what? We're standing in the grace of Jesus Christ right now. If we've been born into his family, we, according to this text, are standing in his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Yeah, look at that. Verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I see two evidences of a transformed life. A life in the process of becoming like Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit. Two evidences. Joy and perseverance. Joy and perseverance through trials. <laughs> we experience joy as we embrace the hope or the confident expectation that we're going to share in God's glory someday. There is going to be a sweet by and by, but maybe just not today. There's going to be a day when God gets glory from all. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we'll celebrate in that glory of God that's recognized and revealed on that day. See, joy is an outgrowth of a life lived with confident access to God. Let me say that again. Could I? I want some of you to write that down. Joy is the outgrowth. It is the, it is the fruit of a life lived with confident access to God. Do you know you have confident access to God? According to the scriptures, you have confident access. You don't even have confident access to the mayor of Gulf Breeze. <laughs> or Ron DeSantis, or the president, or any other elected official. You don't have confident access to them, but who do you have confident access to? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator and sustainer of it all. That's who you have confidence. So why are we going to men with our problems instead of going straight to the creator who says, you have confident access to me through the Holy Spirit alive in you. <laughs> A second opportunity that results in hope out of this Romans 5 text. Paul says the trials of our life. Now there's no line forming for this group. In case you're wondering. You know, well, I want to have trials. Let me have you. No. Know, nobody's volunteering for trials in life. But can we all at least agree they're, they're a reality of life? Amen. Everybody's life has trials. And as believers... It gives the opportunity for the development of our character and our faith, which results in increased hope. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Trials develops our character, strengthens our faith, and results in increased hope. Slow down a minute and think about that one. Trials develops our character, strengthens our faith, and results in increased hope. What? Yeah. Some of you that been like me, you've been around this ball a time or two. <laughs> made a few laps. You've seen it happen, haven't you? You got that diagnosis. You got that bad news from a, a, a child or a grandchild. You got that difficult word from the workplace. And you thought, oh my gosh! I mean, y'all probably don't think like that's how I think. You know? 
But I mean, just in the moment of panic, you're like, what am I going to do? And you look to God and he says, I got you. I got you, right? And you go through whatever that was. And you look back. And then you look up and say, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for having me through that. Whatever that was. And about the time you're ready to say hallelujah, you turn around and bam, there's another trial, right? Right on your path of life. You're like, I, wait, wait, I thought we just had this, right? Oh God, it's me again, right? And a, a lifetime of walking by grace through faith in Christ, going through the trials of life, strengthening our faith, getting stronger each time, realizing, hey, I don't have to panic. I got a father that loves me. He's given me confident access to him. I'm just going to trust him. I don't know how this is going to work, but I am going to trust him through whatever it brings. And I find myself with increasing hope. The hope not only for this life, but hope for the life to come. Hope for all eternity. Hope that brings peace to my heart. How, does that, how is that even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because our confidence is in God's ability and willingness to bring us through difficult times. You with me? I want you to listen to me. Our confidence is in God's ability and willingness to bring us through difficult times. Here, here's my question. Do you think God is able? Just give me a yes, no, amen, head nod, something. Yeah, God is able, right? Almost everybody say, you can ask a pagan, do you think God is able? And they go, amen, he's God, ain't he? Hallelujah, right? I mean, he's lost his Adam's house cat, but he's a, yeah, God is able, that's right. <laughs> Have me another twig, you know. I mean, whatever. But then when you take that one step further and you say, but is God willing? Hmm, willing, willing. Is God willing? Is God willing for you to have increased hope? Is God willing for you to have strengthened faith? Is God willing for you to endure through whatever trials life brings? Amen, he is. Yes, he is. See, we ought to say that as confidently as we do, God is able. How do you know that, Lewis? How can you say that? Well, the scripture says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Yeah, but I don't feel as close to God as I once did. Well, guess who's moved? It's not God. So, so we need to understand. And <laughs> my time is up. Uh, hope is not superficial optimism. It's confident assurance that God is with us through whatever lies ahead. Hope is, second, a distinguisher of those who keep the faith through severe testing. Through trials of life. And hope is not meant to be hoarded. <laughs> it's funny how we Baptists are. You know. We get baptized. They give us this certificate. Here's your baptism. I got hope. Hope. I got hope. Wish y'all had some. Too bad. <laughs> Sucks to be you. I got hope. I won't. And we hoard our hope. Instead of. We, listen. You were given hope. For the purpose of sharing it. I love Robbie Gallaty's statement. He says the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. It's a true statement. Peter said it this way. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
Honor Jesus as holy. How do we do that? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How is it you can have such hope? There's not, I'm not able on my own. It's only through Christ in me. And then he put this phrase in here for us Baptists. This last phrase of 1 Peter 3, 15. Do it with gentleness and respect. Don't beat them over the head with your faith. Do it with gentleness and respect. Oh, that third question. How do we communicate hope? And I got to hurry. How do we communicate hope? I believe hope is communicated through the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to save and transform. The gospel brings peace and unity to his church. The gospel gives assurance of our eternal peace. The gospel is the foundation of our understanding of who Jesus is and who we are becoming as followers of him. And the gospel moves us from with compassion for others. See, hope is our message to the world. That's our message as his church. That's our message. And by the way, they're looking and they're listening. When you talk to your neighbor about Jesus, do they hear hope in your voice? When you talk, when you talk to your neighbor about the world and politics, oh, there's a fun subject, isn't it? Do they hear hope in your voice? Your neighbor. Oh, no, I'm talking to my neighbor. He's a mean old cuss. You, you wouldn't like him at all. Hey, can I help you get in a relationship, a conversation at least minimally with him? I'll tell you how to do it. It's not complicated. Warm cookies. Make warm cookies and take them to the meanest neighbor you got. <laughs> oh, you made cookies for me? All of a sudden, he's real friendly. Yeah, and while you have his attention, say, by the way, we want you to know we love you. We're your neighbors, and we pray for you often. If there's ever any way we can help you, we're here. We'd love to talk with you. Love to help you if we could, okay? I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be. That's, it's just simple. It's just compassion. It's being moved by the gospel with compassion. Why? Because they're looking and they're listening for hope. Could you imagine if your, your neighbor, Becky and I have some neighbors across the driveway from us. If, if he was to die today, I'd feel terrible. See, we've been planting seeds. We've been trying to share the gospel with our neighbors, just little by little, building relationship with them. But I want him to know Jesus, right? I, I want him to walk in relationship with Jesus. I want him to have the hope that we have in Christ. Not that I'm better than him, I'm not. But if you found good news, wouldn't you want to tell somebody about it? So let me ask you, and I'll end. Do we have this? Do you have this hope that's found in Jesus today? I'm just asking. I'm not judging. I'm asking. Do you have the hope of eternal life, of, of life abundant here and now in Jesus Christ? Did you once have this hope, but you've kind of grown distant, as we mentioned earlier, in your relationship with Jesus? I'm wondering, would you surrender? To following Jesus today and every day from this day forward. For me, it was a Thursday night in 1971. Trinity United Methodist Church, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. It was a Methodist youth week. And the pastor that night shared the gospel. 
In the Methodist church, they didn't give us much of an opportunity to respond in any way publicly. But there were several times, because I grew up, I tell people I had a drug problem as I was a kid. My parents drugged me to everything going on at church, right? You know, I mean, I was very churched. I knew the lingo, the handshake, where all the hiding places were in the church building, all that stuff. But I didn't know Jesus. And that night, the preacher said, hey, if you would tonight confess your sins to him, to the Lord. And ask his forgiveness. He will give you life everlasting. Starting tonight. And into eternity. I said to the earlier crowd. That was a good gospel presentation. There's one thing I feel like he left out. He should have told me this. So I'm going to tell you. If you decide today to follow Jesus. Go ahead and know that your life is never going to be the same. Why? Because he loves you. What I've noticed about my father, my heavenly father, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it was his love that drew me to him. But now every day it's his love that challenges me. That changes me. That's transforming me. That's helping me still. I'm older than dirt and I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And friend, I say to you, I want you to know Jesus because I don't have any regrets. <laughs> that was a long time ago, 1971. I have zero regrets of following Jesus. And so I'm inviting you today. Maybe this is the day you decide I want to follow Jesus. Maybe this is the day you who once followed him and have grown distant would come back to him. Either way, surrender to following Jesus today and every day. Because he wants to save and transform your life beginning today. And follower of Jesus, <laughs> we who claim to know him we who are so grateful for his love and goodness to us, we must go from here more determined than ever to intentionally pursue gospel conversations. We've got good news. We've got good news. There's hope for everyone in Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's pray together, please? Father, I thank you for this group. Lord, I thank you that some are here today and they're walking in relationship with you. They're growing and learning and becoming and I thank you for them I pray God you'd continue to grow all of us to understand who you are and who you'd have us to be Lord there may be some here today and they want everybody else to think that they're already following you but in their heart you know and they know they never really have trusted you as Savior and Lord and today you sent this crazy old guy here to share the gospel so that they might be born into your family. Lord, would you do that today? You are able and you are willing to save today. Lord, some of us started out strong following you. On fire, boy, people talked about how our testimony was so great. And now we find ourselves kind of cool and distant from you. Thank you for having John pen these words of encouragement to us. That if we would confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's the prayer of some hearts here today. They would decide to come home to Jesus. Come home. Restore their faith. Restore to them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in these moments, I don't know a heart here but mine. I know you do. And I'm 
I'm trusting you, Holy Spirit of God, to work in these hearts to accomplish your purpose. If there's one here today that wants to be saved, you draw them to yourself. Maybe some of the church family would gather around them and pray with them and encourage them. I know Shannon would and others would. Lord, I just pray that you'd move in our midst, that we would listen for your voice and follow with hearts of obedience. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church, go first.